Coming to you from USL headquarters, this is Steal Some Time. Here's the USL's Kelsey Steele. Week 16, Episode 5. Welcome on in to Steal Some Time. I'm your host, Kelsey Steele, joined by the man himself, Scott Stewart, and our lovely producer, Matt Calvo. Guys, welcome on in. Scott, how was your weekend? Pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic. A lot of scores that I will say I woke up on Sunday and was like, wow, I really need to watch these games. I need to start prioritizing my Saturday night. Like, forget going out. Forget having fun, guys. Lock in on some USL Championship this weekend is further proof that I need to align my priorities. Guys, this is how annoyingly committed Scott is to championship play. The dude had friends in town this weekend and got home from a glorious night out in St. Pete, as they usually are. A little rainy. A little rainy. A little rainy. And got home to continue to watch championship play. I'm just telling you, when Fop Mob's blowing up the phone with all these championship alerts and I just see five goals in Vegas, I'm like, is this real? Is this real? Okay, this is real. I need to go to bed. Yeah, speaking of five goals in uh, in Vegas, a lot to talk about from week 15 over in the East and the West. Um, hitting on a, a different kind of social moment this week, so you guys need to come in for that one because I've got a few, few items I need to bring to the table <laughs> uh, in light of the World Cup. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit about Open Cup and, um, you know, week six. And of course, get in a shots fired where, we, where we've got a, uh, a nice little rotation going on here between Scott and myself. So interested to see what you were bringing to the table today, Matt. Um, um, be prepared. That's all I'm going to say. Great, because we, we don't know what's coming, so we can be super prepared. Fantastic. Um, let's, yeah, let's get right into it. Over in the West, you mentioned that 5-1 win over New Mexico. W- what's the deal with Vegas at home, honestly? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those games where going into it, you know what you're about to get into, and it's well, maybe you don't know what the environment is that you're about to get into in Vegas because it's it's unpredictable as is should be in Vegas. But uh, you know that they're trouble. You know that obviously, if you're just going on paper, that their results at home have been extremely impressive. And you know, you no matter if you're top of the West, bottom of the West. Wherever you lie, you know that going to Las Vegas is going to be a difficult place to play. And obviously, you know, our, our former Western Conference leaders saw that firsthand on Saturday night and in a bad, bad way. You got to wonder a little bit, too, if New Mexico was coming off of an Open Cup hangover. You know, a lot of games here within a, a quick period of time. It, but the thing is, it's not like they didn't play well, especially when you go, you know, really dive into the stats here. I mean, they had a higher possession by nearly 30%. New Mexico controlled that game. Their passing accuracy was fantastic, about 88%. New Mexico performed. They just didn't finish. And it was almost once they got to that point at the end of the game where they came back, I thought it was 70th, 80th minute, finally got a goal, and then all of a sudden it was like, snap. Las Vegas just came out with two back-to-back, and it was just like – deflated a little bit, I think, for New Mexico at that point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, looking at Vegas at home, you can almost see maybe why Vegas on the road isn't as good because they have such a bona fide game plan when when people come to Cashman Field. And maybe Mm -hmm. they try and put that game plan on other fields and don't experience as much success. And New Mexico for them, you know, echoing what you said, they're a great team and you can play well and still lose 5-1. And I think, you know, I saw Eric Winalda's tweet after the game just saying, like, New Mexico fans, like, we're all rooting for you in the Open Cup. Like, go beat Dallas. You know, championship got your back, like, holding it down. But Which is uh, so cool. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. But but exactly like you said, you know, New Mexico played well, but that scoreline has to be deflating. And then obviously it hurts your goal differential, which I'm sure – 
the coaching staff and the players are just as angry about as the actual result itself. So to come away 5-1, I mean, it's it's a lopsided loss, but like you said, they've had their legs tested multiple times in the last few weeks and maybe more than any other team in the West, and that's not going to lighten up with their road match in Dallas this week for the Open Cup. So the road may not get easier for New Mexico, but I think that this team is so good that they're just going to be able to say, all right, let's just take that blow and mm-hmm. – we heard the bell. Let's go to the next round. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they respond this week in the Open Cup and then again in regular season play. It's a lot on their plate yeah. for a new club and, you know, a new fan group kind of dealing with this adversity for the first time as well, you yeah. know. Uh, and not it, the most roster depth either. I mean, New Mexico doesn't have, like, guys 1 through 23 out there on the field. Troy Lacine has a very core group of guys mm-hmm. that he likes to rely on. And especially when you've had to deal with the Josh Suggs injury recently, it's just kind of like – how much time is being put on these guys' legs. And I think at this point they're probably thanking their lucky stars that Freighter did not get the gold cup call up because that could have put a hurt on them even more. Just over 200 miles down the road, you've got a train that just won't stop rolling. Yeah. And uh, over in El Paso, nine games unbeaten. I mean, the, more, more and more, Jeff Freighter is seen, sounds like a freaking genius. He is, man. I think actually we should take credit for that on the Still Some Time podcast. Yeah. They're undefeated since the podcast started. Mm. Ooh. An excellent producer's note. So they should be the biggest fans of the show that are out there. Shameless plug. Should All... they be loco for still some time, would you say? Maybe. <laughs> Matt Calvo? You went there. I did not. As we quickly move on. As we quickly moved on. Seriously, though. We have a club that is honestly getting it done all the way around too. And I think that's important to kind of to to make sure people understand too. This is not just an offensive power team. Their backline is strong. I mean, they're performing in every aspect of the game, which is why they're so successful at this point in time. They're tied in the West with for the lead in shutouts with seven. And they're also tied in goals conceded at only twelve. Yeah. It's it's and that's in fourteen games yeah. too. I mean it's very impressive. They've shored up the back line and, and I think that again the talent has always been there, but the addition of Drew Becky, I mean, I would love to be Drew Becky right now, mainly because your team's flying, your sister Janine's killing it in the World Cup. Like it's it's probably a great time to be Drew Becky, but it's also a great time to be an El Paso fan just because Mark Lowry, like we, I mean, I think we touched on it a few weeks ago. You know, this was a train that was moving maybe slower than originally anticipated, and now it's like full steam ahead, and obviously their run speaks for itself. Puntastic. Puntastic. Well done. I, at some point, the train jokes are going to get old, right? That's just so easy. Maybe, but I, I do like to think we can conduct a few more. <laughs> I can't. Oh, my God. When we talk a lot about <laughs> Kelvo just shaking his head. Back on track here. Back on track. It's, it's, not, it's not stopping. No. Um, Keith Savitter's been great, and he's been that consistent um, talking point, I think, for El Paso. I, I really think that we need to draw more attention right now to what Omar Salgado's doing for this team. As an El Paso native, he was a club's first ever signing, and if – I don't know if you guys watched this game. I don't know if you got a chance to see it in, you know, real time on Saturday, but he commanded his presence out there on the field. And when when Omar had the ball, it, I, it, it's just so impressive to watch him play. I mean, mm-hmm. his, his ball control, his timing, he is so quick off the ball, and it is unbelievable the, the level of control he demands when he's on the ball. I think it's a great example of 
a player flourishing under a coach who has him in a very specific role. And I think mm-hmm. that prior to Jerome Kiesewetter's signing, Salgado was asked to do a lot for Mark Lowry, and he was that man. You know, I think he was the, the player who was probably touted most by the club as this is our main guy. But since Kiesewetter's been coming in, championship player of the month, obviously scoring nonstop, he has sort of taken a little bit of the spotlight. But the coal in the fire is Omar Salgado, and he's the one who is continuing to help make things happen for them week after week. And I think that might be the best thing for El Paso right now is on paper – a lot of teams are going to look at Keysweater and say, how do we shut this guy down? How do we shut this guy down? But your focus should be on Salgado because if we're going chicken or egg and you're not taking care of the, the source of the problem, then stopping one facet of it is not going to be your end-all, be-all, if you will. So I'm, I'm interested to see if they can keep this up. Obviously, they were knocked out of the Open Cup, and so they can focus directly on what's ahead of them in the league. But it's been an incredible run since like mid-April, late April, I think, for them, and Obviously, uh, they are pretty keen to see this thing continue to rise. Yeah, I think his experience holds uh, a big deal of importance with this El Paso club as well. Mm. Uh, you know, you're drawing on a guy that's it's played for you know the U20, U23 national team, has an extensive experience, was a number one overall draft in the MLS Super Draft. I mean, he's somebody who he's played internationally. He's trained with EPL teams. Yeah. You know, he's he's got that experience, and I think we're we're finally getting that opportunity to kind of see that on full display because Mark Lowry is surrounding him with guys who are poised for success Mm -hmm. and who complement each other and right now this El Paso team do a heck of a job complementing each other yeah and again I think you know we would never question Mark Lowry's tactical acumen but his game plan from day one it's it's a beautiful thing to be given a blank sheet of paper and to be told this is it you fill this Mm -hmm. page up with whatever you want and El Paso being a team that is just brand new on this scene, what they've given Mark in terms of resources to succeed. And, and again, even the ability to add players into the roster like Kisa Wetter to, to bolster that attack and sort of Drew Becky, another name that is easy to point to, top to bottom, right? And, and whether you're leading the line or whether you're holding it down at the back, he has been able to see this team continue to improve its form because – he knew what his plan was from day one. Mm-hmm. He stuck to it. They might have made minor tweaks because who hasn't? Right. But he stuck to the overall game plan. He's been able to bring in some additional pieces, and now El Paso looking like one of the scariest outfits in the West. 100% nine games unbeaten. But over in the East, we had a club in the Tampa Bay Rowdies that at one point we were like, are they going to make this super unprecedented run in championship play? Now, all of a sudden, they're, they haven't won in two games, two weeks. You're coming off of a Week 15 result against Charleston, one all. They give up a, a really late goal. At, at this point, you're Neil Collins. Is there a little bit of concern there for you? No, not okay. at all. Personally, not at all. I mean, I think it's what we talked about with North Carolina coming in there and, and making Atlanta Fortress. I'm sure that was a talking point. I'm sure that they left that 3-1 and they were like, guys, that's a bummer. Let's not do it again. Mm-hmm. For it to happen the very next week, I think is just kind of a sucker punch to them a little bit. But reading what Neil had to say after the game and, and looking at the players' reactions, I mean, I was there on Saturday night and, and they were obviously like, we did this to ourselves. And if you can recognize that it is nearly a self-inflicted wound from the beginning – it makes your recovery and your healing process that much easier to be able to drive on and say, guys, we need to own up to that mistake. That was on us. Seriously, 
let's lock this down and let's not have this be a theme for our season. So I'm not too worried. I think it's it's two unfortunate results in a row. They would argue they played very well against North Carolina. Maybe didn't deserve to win, but didn't deserve to lose by that much. And then probably they would argue they deserved to beat Charleston and then didn't. How are you going to respond from here? A level of maturity coming out of a small, or excuse me, a young squad uh, as well. And here's the thing, though. They, they may have you know, come into a late draw with that game against Charleston. But the storyline is nearly the same as it was in their loss to North Carolina the week prior. You look at, you know, passes, possession, shots, all of that, they're largely above that margin. You know, they're they're holding that that, that positive result. So, I mean, in my opinion, they're doing all of the things right. And I think they're going to continue and, and get back on track. And I think it's going to be the rowdies that we've seen all season and, you know, just a, a minor, minor hurdle in the road. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things where it's very easy to target teams who have blips and form on the radar, right? It's a long season. Because they did so well, and now you have back-to-back results, and it's easy to point the finger at them and say, well, look at them. Oh, they were always bound to crack. And it's like... We don't know that. Time will tell. I mm-hmm. think it would be extremely harsh to the Rowdies to say that they are now in turmoil or they have to sort of readjust their game plan, just as I think it would be harsh against the teams who earned these results to say that you guys didn't go out and achieve that. Right. So I think there are two sides to this coin. I think you could probably flip it and land on either one and justify it. But if I'm Tampa Bay, I have no real reason to be shaking in my boots. We're an incredible team. You know, Clearly, we found the drive to be able to get to this point, And now, again, it's just about... Let's find that level of consistency again and see where it takes us. Yeah, all valid points. And over in Eastern Conference play, Ottawa and Memphis, nil-nil draw. Uh, it, you're asking me that is a very good result for Memphis to, yeah. to come away with that against a very, very good Ottawa side. Uh, they, they have to be coming off that one feeling pretty good. Ottawa's been rolling, and mm-hmm. they've, they've got some talent in Cristiano Francois and, and more Sam, who's been lighting up the score sheet recently. So for Memphis to put in a defensive performance that earns them a clean sheet, of course they're going to say to themselves, boy, if we could have found that goal, if we could have taken advantage of that golden opportunity, found three points, that's going to highlight what they've been doing and really give them that ego boost that maybe they're looking for right now. But by no means can you dismiss this result because, oh, it's just another point. Well, Ottawa has been streaking, and Ottawa has been a team that also did not start where they wanted to, and now they're up in climbing the the Eastern Conference standing. So if you're Memphis, again, I don't think you're prepared to settle for anything at this point because Tim Mulqueen has to keep them moving. Mm-hmm. But this is a point that you look at at the end of the day and say, okay, we kept them off the score sheet. Earn a nice clean sheet. Let's see where we can go. Looking ahead of week 16, we've got more open cup play, a full slate on Saturday, a Tuesday night action. So a, a lot ahead. But before we get there, we're going to be joined by St. Louis FC Sam Fink, a really, really great dude. Uh, one of the, I think, the most vocal and true leaders in championship play and uh, he's going to stop and talk a little bit about Open Cup and uh, shed some light on uh, St. Louis FC and uh, and the history of Open Cup play down there so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll uh, be joined by Sam Fink. Hey soccer fans this is Jeff Reuter of The Athletic and you're listening to Steal Some Time. All right we're now joined in by St. Louis FC's Sam Fink. Sam how are we doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, not a problem. We're happy to have you, and you're coming off of a big weekend. How was Father's Day? It was good. We um, we traveled on Father's Day, which was unfortunate, but uh, it was great to get back home and see the little one and my wife, so it was a good day. 
it's always nice to kind of get back home and, and share some time with them, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing like opening the door and having Evelyn run into my arms. It's a happy time for sure. Well, that's, that's amazing. And, um, you know, we don't want to take up too much of your time today, but I, I, I got to get into uh, what's what's ahead here on week 16. And mm. I think with uh, St. Louis and what you guys have upcoming this week, it's a, it's a really cool opportunity. And for you, you've been – St. Louis is it holds a special place in your heart. I mean, it's the first place that you played your professional career and, you know, took that mm-hmm. hiatus in OKC in 27 and then came back in, in 2018. And um, – for me, I think the, the one thing I want to know off the bat is what was that decision like to come back to your roots? Why, why did you decide to come back to St. Louis? Yeah, I think um, it was, uh, first off, it was a really tough decision. Um, I had a really good a really good year in Oklahoma City, not just on the field, um, but also off it. Met some really awesome people, and the energy organization is, is top-notch, so it was a tough decision, but I think uh one reason was family getting to come back uh, my wife was pregnant we were about to have our first child and so it was cool to obviously come back and, and still play and play in front of family and friends but then also I think um, with Anthony coming in I just felt like what he wanted to establish uh, the culture that he wanted to bring in um, the guys that he wanted to bring in and and kind of what he wanted to start building here in St. Louis was exactly what I always wanted to be a part of and Unfortunately, I couldn't help establish that in my first go-around, but uh, given the opportunity to do it again, there's just uh, something that I didn't feel like I could pass up or that I wanted to pass up. And Anthony's been really outspoken about the kind of players he wanted to bring in into this program. Um, I know one one big characteristic for him was, you know, embodying this certain kind of character, you know, good people first. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think you see that a lot with this current St. Louis club. I mean, it's, you guys have all been very outspoken about being a really tight-knit group. You know, you guys are this this really special family. And, and from my opinion, from the outside, I think you can, you can really see that. And um, I, I think especially back in week six uh there was a video for st louis that actually went really viral and it was you leading this speech in, in front of the entire team and um you know you told albert Allardico on the spot that you guys had all pitched in to bring in uh his family for mm-hmm. any game of his choosing and um I, I still to this day get chills when i watch that video i think it's one of the coolest things i've ever seen in sport um i mean how did how did that idea come about yeah, it's, I'm really glad you enjoyed that. It was something that was really cool for us, too. Um, that that whole thing just kind of came about just through conversation uh, about family. We, we Something we mention here often and something that I think gets talked about a lot in sport. But um, you know, everybody can, can say it. I think it's much harder to actually live it out and to sacrifice for each other. Um, and so just through conversation with, with Dequa, he was just mentioned that it just made him really sad that his family would never get to come to America to see him do what he loves and to see him live out his dreams. Um, and that kind of just, uh, struck me and just, I talked to a few of the guys after the conversation with Dequa and it was just, honestly, it was so humbling to see how on board everyone was from the jump uh, everybody wanted to help and it was just cool to see everybody put aside their their own worries and just like I said just sacrifice to see 
someone that they would call brother, someone that they would call family, uh, really just be happy and joyful. Uh, so that was super humbling experience and one of the coolest things that I think I've seen. Yeah, yep. I mean, that that story, I think, struck us all when we saw it here at a USLHQ and really shows the level of character and you know, it's you. You hear a lot of guys who say, "I'll I'll leave a club," and and I couldn't tell you, you know, five things about some of these guys on the mm-hmm. team. And to see something like that and to show how much each of these guys really truly care about each other, I think it's it's so much bigger than the game. You know, and yeah. in that video, yeah. you gave a, a really powerful speech, and it's obvious that you know you're a really big leader, and these guys have a lot of respect for you. I mean, you were captain at Wake Forest too. And, you know, now a captain at St. Louis, what do you think the most important quality is to have as a leader? I think uh, that's a that's a great question. And there's so many of them. Um, but I think at the heart of leadership for me is is one humility, um, always being willing to to grow and, and not being afraid to lean on others when you need them. And then, two, I think serving your teammates well is, is so important, um, I think the the culture of professional sports is very tough and very i can do this on my own um i'm you know i I don't need anybody else but i kind of want to redefine that because the reality is we all struggle and we all uh, need somebody to actually love us well and to, to care for each other so i think you know for me i just try to bring that vulnerability to light and just let people know that uh I know you struggle, but so do I, and, and I love you enough to get through that with you. Um, and, and you know, thankfully, Anthony has brought in guys that have a similar outlook on life and a similar heart, and so that transition has been has been seamless. But yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Sam, that that's such a humble answer. I'm I'm gonna be one to say that. <laughs> you know, as somebody who works in sports, I think you have an idea sometimes on of the answers of questions you're going to ask. And it's refreshing to hear uh, truly such a, a genuine response to, to a leadership question like that. Thank you. And, you know, as a leader, you, you have the opportunity now to lead your team into the round of 16 in open club play, which yeah. is super exciting. So coming off of a big win over Chicago fire in the fourth round, which is St. Louis's first win against an MLS, MLS club, which is super exciting. So you guys will mm-hmm. see FC Cincinnati in the round of 16 on Wednesday. And my question for you, how much is open cup prioritized for you and your club? Is it like, Hey, you know, we're going for it this year. Is it more of, it's just another game. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough one because I think any lower division team across the world that's playing a higher division is going to have that extra motivation and extra want to come out and, and do really well. But um, I think it's also important to lay out your priorities. And for us, Open Cup is a huge opportunity and, and a very cool uh, thing to be a part of. But we also have uh, bigger goals in mind when it comes to uh, the championship and where we are sitting in the table and what we want to do at the end of the year. So I think finding that balance is important. Um, and you just kind of got to focus one game at a time. And right now it's Cincinnati tomorrow, but after that game, win or lose, then it's Carolina on the weekend and we just keep moving forward. The underdog label has been quick to to come to you guys, to St. Louis FC. Do you feel like an underdog truly going into this matchup? Uh, you know, I, yeah, I think 
I think the headlines want to want to pit it as a true underdog story. But to be honest with you, um, when I look around the locker room, I, I just see a bunch of guys that uh, could be playing higher level. But whether it be they weren't in the right place at the right time or just it's not their time yet, they're not. Um, so I don't feel like the the talent gap is as big as some people make it seem. And I, I think that hard work and a commitment to each other are the ultimate equalizer. So as long as we continue to bring that, like we try to do every single week, then I think we have a great chance. I think what's really awesome about this game being played in St. Louis and for the round of 16 to be happening in St. Louis is that this city has a serious Open Cup tradition. You've won multiple mm. Open Cups within the city. Do you just feel like there's this excitement around the Open Cup in St. Louis that you don't see anywhere else in the country? Yeah, I think the I think the Luligans especially are quick to remind us of all the history that St. Louis has had, and, and not only history, but good history. They've St. Louis has, has done well in the past, and so I think, you know, when we do get reminded of that, it definitely gives us a little extra push to uh, do our best so that we can hopefully add to that long history. And lastly here, you and Tomas Gomez are, are both have roots in this area, in Missouri. How much of an impact does that have for your club and to be local products that represent your hometown team? Yeah, it's cool. It's it's really cool to – I remember when I was growing up that I had a, a real hunger for to just learn from pros and to watch pros, and, and there wasn't a chance to do that um, when I was a young kid and in high school even. Um, and so to be able to be a role model and just somebody, a mentor or whatever it is for kids that are in the St. Louis community and growing up and want to be professionals is, is so cool. And it's just really cool to see, uh, you know, how excited the kids are after games or when they see us at, at the park um, and, and all the questions that they ask us. Uh, it's just a really, really fun experience. And Hopefully, you know, the interactions that I get to have with these kids make an impact with them. And, and hopefully, you know, 10, 20 years from now, we can we can talk about the next St. Louis kid who's making an impact with St. Louis FC. And maybe it's because of the conversations he had with Tomas or myself or another St. Louis guy. So, yeah, being here, being from here is really special and, and something that, you know, I'm grateful for every single day. Making an impact in St. Louis. Sam Fink, St. Louis FC. Sam, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, and we wish you the best of luck this coming week in the Open Cup round of 16. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. No problem. Take care. Hey, guys. This is Mark Anthony Kay, and you're listening to Steal Some Time. Welcome on back in to Steal Some Time. and. Really appreciative of Sam for uh, stopping by and chatting with us a little bit. And uh, one of those guys who's always got a, a lot to bring to the table. It's Open Cup season. It's Open Cup season. St. Louis is excited. You, you got you got to love it. And, uh, you know, a lot going on in social and the build up to that. So, uh, you know, really excited to see how that shakes out on Wednesday night. Speaking of social, obviously it is a busy time of the year for soccer fans. Yes. A lot going on in soccer Twitter. Uh, one thing that I think that we need to take note of is that my girl, JJ, is back out on the field. Or Julie Ertz, sorry, is now, as she's now known. There's this tweet going around. It's this picture after Zach Ertz won uh, 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 the Super Bowl. I almost said the World Cup. Uh, after after he wins the Super Bowl and, you know, they are sharing a kiss on the field. And the copy from CBS News is Eagles tight end Zach Ertz leaves training camp to watch wife 
in World Cup. Cool. A little one-sided. Little bit. Um, so it's taken off, and now everyone's <laughs> giving giving their copy suggestions, and it got me thinking. We have some real power couples right now in professional sport. I think we're in a really cool time where there's a few going around that there are some serious pedigrees that our next generation might see. Yeah. So I've put a little list together myself. Matt's, Matt Cavill's laughing because, you know. Just the pedigree comment. <laughs> Continue. I like it. Sorry, farm reference. No, I, I like know. it. I like it. Um, so I put together my list of who I think the top five are, and I'm going to have Scott rank them. Okay. So obviously, Zach Ertz, Julie Ertz. Okay. Um, my next one up, Lindsey Vaughn, P.K. Subin. Okay. Dom Dwyer, Sydney LaRue. Okay. Who also has a like mini doc going on right now with Players Tribune. Yeah, That's kind that. of interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I've got JJ Watt and Kalia Ohai. I hope I, I hope I pronounced her name um, correctly. Recently engaged, correct? Recently engaged, yeah. Um, and then lastly, Megan Rapino and Sue Bird. It's a really it, Honorable mention is going to be Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi, but yeah. um, I'm going more in in this this time period. Yeah. Not that they're you know not relevant because they're still together. Careful. Yeah. Careful. Um, yeah. Tread lightly. <laughs> I need to back away. Our lifetimes. Though, Our right? lifetimes. Our lifetimes. I think right. we can get away with saying that. Uh, number one, Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird. Okay. I don't think it's particularly close. Megan Rapinoe is like a multi champion in every single area of soccer that she's ever both played in and experienced so she's a winner sue bird is an absolute baller yeah and she's, would, she's dope. would break both of my ankles at first time asking would literally cross me so bad that i would never pick up a basketball again and feel good about it so hard number one megan rapino and sue bird number two i think i would probably go zach and julie mm-hmm. and i think that you know if we were going with copy suggestions something along the lines of two-time world cup veteran and champion julie Ertz welcomes uh, football playing husband to France to watch her triumph again. Something along those lines. Welcomes like like he didn't have a choice to come. Right, it right. Was. Like welcomes, as in like <laughs> this was happening, and I'm so glad that you're able to be here to experience. She this. allowed so, him to be there. Correct. Right. 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 Correct. <laughs> correct. Not just like a you have to leave training camp to go do this, but just like a oh that's right you were always going to leave training camp to do this. Like okay, so solid number two there. I think I'd probably go Vaughn and, and P.K. Subban after that just because Lindsey Vaughn is outrageous. And Subban, I believe, is a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, national. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. National so, so that's obviously a great shout. It's going to be difficult to not put Dom Dwyer and Sidney LaRue anywhere. I mean, the fact that they don't break the top three is probably heartbreaking for a lot of people out there. What a time to be alive. I know, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. And they've obviously experienced the move across the country for Sydney and Cassius to come to Orlando and Dom being a longtime Orlando guy. So I think they'd probably go there. And absolutely no disrespect to Watt and Ojai. I just don't know them that well, you know? So I think think number five is a pure lack of information and knowledge. But shout out to those two for keeping their relationship relatively private. We got some winners. I thought we were going to go with like the combined name thing. Oh, we'll save that for next oh, week. Oh, a couple a, a couple naming sports, conventions. Sports power couple combined name ranking. We'll, we'll hit those Somewhere. up in, in the thread. If that's week. the title, then I will come up with as many couple names as you want to justify that. So I'm down. <laughs> All right, uh, Scott, I love it. Thank you so much for your pop culture insights. Just bringing a lot to the table Megan Rapinoe is number one always in everything forever. So just get used to it.
<laughs> Heading into week 16, we have open cup play, baby. Two teams left. We're going to start off first with St. Louis and Cincinnati. Does St. Louis have a better chance in this matchup? Before we get there, I want to briefly touch on Cincinnati and Louisville's match this previous week. I know you and I had a off-the-record conversation about it. Um, I'll just weigh in quickly. I had higher hopes for Louisville. I expected more out of the gate. Uh, you know, No offense to the guys that they have on the pitch right now. Um, I just thought, one, from a purely physicality standpoint, they, they were roughed around mm-hmm. a lot. And I, I felt like I never saw a good sequence put together. I think what hurt maybe both teams from the outset was the relative lack of environment. And I think that those Which two teams... Which is weird coming out of Nippert. Oh, I know. But I think those two teams are used to going into a 30,000-seat venue with 25,000 fans in the stands. And they know that this is a big-time environment. This is a big game. And I just don't feel like either team were necessarily up for the cup, as mm-hmm. you would say, via our U.S. soccer uh, translation there. So uh, I do think that Louisville probably regrets not capitalizing on a couple of opportunities, but the fact that they did held, hold Cincinnati that late, and keep in mind this is an MLS roster, whatever you want to say. I think Louisville would argue that they have uh, what they would what they would argue is similar quality mm-hmm. on the field, but I think they were probably hard done by in a couple moments in the game. Cincinnati obviously take it away, but that transitions into me saying, first off, I think St. Louis has a better chance because it's at home for them. Right. They get to yeah. host, and I think that instantly means much more for the home side that they're able to welcome FCC in. And, and listen, they've done it before, but I think the stakes are just a little bit higher, and I think, you know, especially after what Sam had to say on the Open Cup, I think that St. Louis is preparing for a big night. And I think that there it's going to be a full worldwide technology park. I think that the guys are going to be ready for it and Anthony Pulis I think is at the you're at the stage in this tournament where you have to consciously prioritize moving on from this to to continue to fill up your fixture list and to sort of understand the physical and mental hurdles that you then have to jump over if you do continue to move on. So I think both sides are well aware of what this means for them, and I think St. Louis is coming into this wanting it more. That's interesting. And they have a rich Open Cup history as well. And, you know, shameless plug, Nicholas Murray did a really um, in-depth, cool look at uh, the soccer in St. Louis and this being this amazing soccer city. He was there, actually, in 57 when they won, which is how he knows so much. Once again, tread lightly. (laughs) Um, we love Nicholas Murray. Let's not do No, nah, Nick Nick probably has written God, it so well. He has probably written it so well that it could be construed as if he was there he was on that there. night. That's how good he is. Big a lot of a lot of history. I just get uncomfortable when age comes up. I'm just gonna put that so, out there. No, that's great. That's great. I understand. Young bloods, old bloods, we're all family. Here's my thing is I've been very vocal on this podcast about my reservations with St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And I've said over and over again, I will, I will give credit when credit is due. And from my point of view right now, St. Louis is not doing enough for me offensively. And in this open cup format, now playing against an MLS team, they have got to put more on the board. But what's interesting about this matchup is they're hosting an MLS side in FC Cincinnati that also struggles to put numbers up on the board. And when I looked into it a little bit this morning, I was when one I was like, "Oh, cool, I'm right." Also, both both sides have Self-plug. ironically only scored 14 goals a season. 
both of them, which are both uh, tied for like right near the end. So you've got uh, FC Cincinnati and Real Salt Lake uh, tied for the lowest in MLS, and then you've got uh, St. Louis FC. So my question for you following that is, I think that St. Louis is a little bit more rough and tumble than Louisville. I think that St. Louis, if we're going off off a physicality standpoint, I think that St. Louis is better prepared to field a side that can hold their own physically against St. Louis. And here's the thing about Cincinnati as well is, you know, I I went to watch them in Orlando, you know, about a month ago now uh, because I had to see James O'Connor taking on FC Cincinnati at some point. And they went up and Orlando stormed back not necessarily quickly, but I think it was more the fact that, and I think Louisville can speak to this as well, Cincinnati, I think, is still willing to let opponents back into the game yep. at this stage. So I think if you go down and you're St. Louis, it's not the end of the world. I think, again, it comes down to Anthony Pulis and Sam really playing a big role in this, sitting down with these guys and saying, okay, we know what our priority is, and we know that you know even if we go down against this team – we have to believe in ourselves and our ability to fight back. And so I think if they can maintain that belief, and that sounds kind of like a coach's cliche, like a little bit of coaches speak there, but like genuinely, if they have the belief that they can be the team that is going to be more physical, go after the 50-50 balls, and if you lose those, win the second ball, attack Cincinnati, take the game to them, why would you not be able to believe that the next round's in sight? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a really good analysis. And, you know, as hard as I am on St. Louis, I do think they have a really good chance. I think they stack up really well. And I'm interested to see what this result is going to be. With Russell tonight. Cicerone. Yep. 83rd minute, 1-0, St. Louis. All right, you heard it here first, people. Scott Stu. And the if this prediction. happens, I would like to formally announce that my two weeks' notice and resignation will immediately follow because I'm hitting the lottery the <laughs> night of the game. I will go to Circle K down here and pick up like at least eight tickets because if I can hit this one, I can hit anything. Gonna... You just got to believe, right? You just got to believe. Scott Stewart pointing his bat, calling a shot. Calling a shot. Also, like such a Midwest thing to be the only gas station you reference is Circle, Circle K. K yeah, which are like so slim in Florida, but yep. whatever. Yep. Speaking of goals, we have a very different scenario over in Dallas and New Mexico. You've got two teams that know how to score goals and yeah. do it a lot. So I think that we're going to have a little bit of a different scenario. I mentioned earlier that New Mexico was coming off of a uh, Open Cup hangover a, a little bit. They've played a lot of games here in these last two weeks. So a part of me, I, I am slightly nervous about their legs going into this one. I'm going to be honest. Totally fair. Totally fair point. I think that's, you know, we've obviously touched on that, you know, multiple times in the last couple of weeks is just New Mexico, just the sheer volume of minutes and time that they've had to spend, not only on the field, but you look at travel as well. I mean, this team has been bouncing back between road, home, road, home, and now they have to go to Dallas. And I think they'll have a lot of fan support there, which is awesome because for them to go to Colorado and have it practically be a home environment for them, at least from what you could tell on the broadcast, has to be sort of the the thorn in these team sides who have to welcome a, a team like New Mexico to them. So I will say that if if I'm going a little bench warmers and I pointed my bat in the sky at, at St. Louis, I'm going to just kind of point it a little bit lower for New Mexico and say that I think they can get the job done, but I think it's going to require a lot more than what it took in Colorado. So Two very different teams two with very the Rapids and teams, FC Dallas, let's be honest. But all eyes on this one, I think if, if it's a USL championship employee's dream to be able to watch St. Louis, FCC, and then New Mexico go to an MLS team right after that, then uh, consider me not wanting to wake up. 
It's going to be a good one. Wednesday, we have two Open Cup games. It's going to be two very fun ones to watch. That said, we still have a lot of regular season play this week. First and foremost, Tuesday Night Soccer. Tonight, Reno and Phoenix on ESPN3. Make sure you tune into that one. Rolls were reversed. Reno's doing their own dollar beer night. It's going to oh be a, it's oh going to be a good one. Um, it's something to keep in mind, too, for that game on the national stage. We're still going to see Phoenix without two other big big players uh, who are on Gold Cup duty at the moment. So something to keep an eye out for is, as mm-hmm. Phoenix goes on the road, but a, a really good one uh, for for ESPN3 tonight and Tuesday night, Tuesday night soccer. Scott, for you, looking at Saturday's slate, is there one game in particular that sticks out? Because I, I'm i looking like we have, what, 17 games on yeah, Saturday? Yeah, quite uh, a few. Quite a few. Quite a few. One Sunday, one Friday, I believe, mm-hmm. to, to plug those two games as well. But – I think that first and foremost, the five o'clock game, the Bethlehem game, who are coming off the win over St. Louis FC, I think that spoke volumes on their ability to perform regardless of where they're at and in what time they're in. So for Tampa Bay to go to Goodman Stadium, the venue change to go to Goodman Stadium on that Saturday, they're going to be sort of the first man up. They are the first game that day, which kind of helps a guy like me who's working that night and can kind of focus in on that one. But I think you're going to look at Pittsburgh hosting New York. Pittsburgh coming off one of the biggest wins in their club history, the 5-0 at Atlanta. At Atlanta, on the road. Uh, Dos Santos doing wonders there, and I think he'll rightly deserve whatever plaudits he gets this week. OKC welcoming Phoenix on the back end of, again, another midweek game for Phoenix and two straight on the road. Solomon Asante, how will he perform? I think another easy one of the West, though, is the team we just touched on a few minutes ago, El Paso and Las Vegas. I mean, Vegas on the road, coming off the big win over New Mexico. That's fantastic, but you're going into you know El, an El Paso environment that is going to be very, very close to what we believe will be a sellout. So a nice, raucous environment. El Paso obviously supporting the squad. So I think a few games on Saturday, but uh, plenty to choose from, obviously. Another one I want to keep in mind is Sacramento and Tulsa. Mm. Uh, that's going to end our yep. night as well. Yep. Uh, late game if you're on the East Coast, so 11 p.m. I think that one's going to be really entertaining as well. A lot of good matchups, though, this week. So yeah. we're looking forward to seeing what our results come out of there. Uh, week 16, man, it's week it's 16. going to be a good one. We are so close to that halfway mark. Uh, that being said, I think we have to finish out this episode the only way that we know how. And that's with our friend Matt Calvo. Take it away for Shots Fired. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Happy to Uh, be here. So this past week we saw two uh, long-suffering sports fan bases get rewarded with championships Mm. in the St. Louis Blues and Toronto Raptors. So um, fully expecting where Kelsey Steele will go with this topic. The topic for today's debate is which sports fan base deserves a championship next. Is, is, this, is this catered to me? <laughs> She's I, made I this argument literally every day. Every, every, every day, day of my life existence. I make this argument. I, well, and here's the, the opportunity to make it globally on the podcast. Okay. For not just our purposes. Because we've heard it enough, quite frankly. Ouch. Okay. Can, yeah. And Scott can't say, can't say what I'm going to say. No one's going to see this coming, by the way. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you, uh, actually Scott was victorious last week, mm-hmm. I believe. So, um, so I have to go first. He has the home court advantage to go first. Uh, are you prepared okay. for your response? You know what? Why not? I have one that I, it's just been a long time. So maybe we okay. just give it to him out of pity. All right. And that'll be my angle. When you're ready. 
Uh, I believe the year was 1989. I was not even alive the last time the Notre Dame Fighting Irish won a national championship in football. And uh, over a 25-year drought now, you know, the Irish, I think, 11 and unofficially 13-time national champions. For a program with such rich history and resources as them, fan base aside, as I will mention, I think it's hard to argue that there's a team that's been waiting as long with as much pedigree as a team like Notre Dame. So let's see it happen. I think the show wow. would do really well in service of a rebuttal segment as well. Mm. Like, I think if we were able to have three minutes of Scott and I just yelling at each other on camera, sounds like on the mic, of because the operation. I mean, just saying, sounds like criticism of the operation. Couple fallacies in place here, Judge. Wow, you went <laughs> Notre Dame on starving fan bases. Yeah, that's that's, that's a bold choice, my friend. Hurting inside. All right, are you ready? <laughs> hurting inside. Go. Give Cincinnati a freaking championship. Yeah. All we have to do is be surrounded by cities that win championship. I'm looking at you, Pittsburgh. I'm looking at you, Cleveland. And looking at you, St. Louis. And it is miserable. You give us hope. Hello, Bengals. We would love a Super Bowl. They, the last two seasons, start out super hot. You think they're going to do well? Oh, no. Let's break your heart. Let's not win a playoff game. Let's keep a head coach for 16 years and never advance in the playoffs. We lose all the time. The Reds give us hope. They shut us down. Someone give us a championship. She failed to mention Indianapolis in that list. I guess. Oh, I'm I guess running out of time. I really was. That's fine. I guess we're just an afterthought. Yeah, you, you <laughs> are. I think that was a subtle shot back. 2007 Super Bowl champions. Skipping, so skipping Indy was a subtle shot. Back. That's okay. Um, I, it, it, it's all coordinated. I've so, had my heart I, is racing. Like, do you know what you just did to me? I, I love that we're now video recording these <laughs> as well, just for everyone to get the view of Kelsey when we do this segment, because you don't get the full heat when when you're just listening to the podcast. Yeah, you need to see it. Shameless plug. Check it out on YouTube as well, um, and see the fire that Kelsey brings to the shots fired. But if Cincinnati wins, who do we laugh at? (laughs) And that's the worst part of all of this, It's supposed to be Cleveland. Uh, That's what sucks about this whole situation. It was like Cincinnati. But as a longtime Atlanta resident, (laughs) ATL. (laughs) We're still here. Y'all just got an MLS card. Yeah, I don't don't feel bad for you. We did get the MLS. In front of like 72,000 people. Every it's time good. someone comes at me with something, I'm like, oh, wait, but you have this team that won a championship yeah. in your lifetime. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like, See, and I don't know if I ever will. And that was my only argument for Notre Dame fans is there are a lot of those people out there who aren't who have been alive and never seen them win a national championship. Favored, favored by the college football committee by far. That 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 is fair. But they always lose. But there's people in Cincinnati that Cincinnati just doesn't even know. And that's the you, best part. As growing, I, I know we're we're extending this really quick, but you, you got me going. <laughs> when you are, this does not count towards the overall score. But no, that's fine. As as Correct. a true Cincinnatian, you are taught to Is never have term? hope, because if you don't have hope going into anything, you can't be heartbroken. Wow. And it's deep, and it's sad, but it's the it's it's how we look at things. Bain, now. Bain once said. There can be no true despair without hope. Mm. I would like to make a motion that you just give it to her for the pity alone. I'll take the pity. Pity win. We don't, yeah. we don't even get pity anymore. We just get made fun of. Trust <laughs> me, I'm well aware. This guy's. It, it's, oh, I'm over him. It, it's hard to go against Cincinnati in, in the championship drought subject. And I just can't go with Notre Dame in anything. That's so. absolutely understandable. Neither would I. 
I was so, forced. I, I didn't even get the chance to talk thinking. about UC basketball in our amazing red carpet that was laid out for us in not this past year, but the year before in the NCAA tournament, where we literally could have made it to the final four and we just choked. I'm sorry. This done. I'm done. So in, in that in all, all all things considered, Kelsey Steele takes this week's edition of Shots Fired. Not proudly, fair. but I'll put it in the pocket no, with fair. the others. <laughs> My only other argument would have been the Indiana Pacers, but listen, no one wants to hear about the forgotten children, so it's all good. It's all good. I, I don't. I, I understand. Uh, on that note, a, a win for Cincinnati. Long time coming. We needed this one, baby. But not quite a championship. <laughs> not quite a championship. Let's have a parade in Cincinnati for shots fired. One point five million in Toronto. At least three people in Cincinnati to celebrate Steele's win this week. Let's <laughs> That'll organize do it, it for episode five. Kelsey Steele's got her win. We're headed into week sixteen. We'll catch you guys next time.